Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit, which was poured out on Jesus at his baptism, would now be poured out on us. And we pray also, Lord, that the reality pointed to by the waters of the Jordan and the word of God spoken from the heavens would be given to us, your church, in this day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, I invite you to open up your, your Bibles to Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, which is the baptism of Jesus. It is the feast of the baptism of our Lord. So maybe you hoped that the end of 2020 would mark the end of 2020's drama. I know I did. Unfortunately, the drama crescendoed this week into bloodshed and violence in our nation's capital. Since the November elections, the President of the United States has been uh, seeking to prove in a court of law that the election was stolen. When that effort uh, failed time and again, the President used his platform to invite people to gather in Washington, D.C. to pressure government officials to overturn November's election results. At a rally on this past Wednesday, President Trump described the assembly as a group of warriors who needed to stop fighting like a boxer with his hands tied behind his back. And then he added, we're going to have to fight much harder. This uh, followed, the statement followed other tweets and statements where he openly encouraged violent behavior. At the same rally this past week, the president's lawyer suggested a, quote, trial by combat. And then the president's son said, we're coming for you and we're going to have a good time doing it. Upon hearing this speech, his supporters marched uh, from outside the White House all the way to the Capitol building. They carried banners and symbols that mixed together at least three realities. Number one, white supremacy. Number two, political support for the president. And number three, Christianity. Crosses, Christian flags, and Christian prayers were mixed with symbols of white power, racism, and American political allegiances. After fighting their way through police barricades, these people smashed their way into the Capitol building, literally. They vandalized the floor of the House of Representatives. They wielded guns, knives, zip ties, and planted explosive devices throughout the Capitol building. The vice president and members of Congress um, fled for safety, some leaving the building, some not. House staffers who could not escape hid themselves behind locked doors while the rioters taunted them, saying, come out, come out, wherever you are. In the process, five people lost their lives and dozens were injured. After this physical assault on a central institution of our government, the president published a video vowing to, quote, never surrender. And he called the rioters very special people and added, I know how you feel. And here we are this morning. Today, by virtue of the church calendar, we celebrate the baptism of our Lord. And in his baptism, Jesus is anointed as God's new king. It's an inauguration ceremony of sorts. 
So you might be asking some questions as we begin today. How does the gospel of Jesus, as seen in his baptism, speak to the events of the day, everything we've lived through? You might be asking, do the actions of the protesters turned rioters in Washington, D.C. represent King Jesus? They carried and donned Christian symbols, prayers, and crosses in support of a political agenda. And they committed acts of violence in Jesus' name. Does this represent the way of Jesus, you might be asking? I want to address specific groups of people that are listening or watching right now. You might be tuning into this as a new Christian or you're not a Christian. Um, you're curious about Jesus, and you might be asking, is Jesus the kind of leader that I want to follow? Is his kingdom good and just? Is he a king worthy of allegiance? You might be a follower of Jesus, a, a different group. Of, you are a follower of Jesus, and you love him, and you are weary of, of seeing Christian symbols used for political ends. You might be embarrassed that the Christian faith has been conflated with white supremacy or other false and foul ideologies. And you might be angry that some Christian leaders, some of whom you used to trust, openly encourage this or silently condone it. Finally, you might be listening or watching as a supporter of what happened on Wednesday. Either you attended the march or would have attended if you had the means. You might not agree with the version of events that I presented. It might sound to you as a, a version that the mainstream media presented that you don't trust. You are already suspicious potentially that I have a liberal bias and an anti-Trump message and that I am mixing politics with faith in an unholy way that is unbecoming of a pastor in a church. You potentially, if that describes you, you might want a pure Christian message from the Bible not another divisive opinion that you could read about in the newspaper. You might feel that you are being dismissed, looked down upon, or unwelcome in some parts of America because of your convictions. So, people who are not yet Christians, people who are Christians but are feeling frustrated, or maybe um, you are a supporter of what happened on Wednesday, wondering um, if you're welcome. And I want to say to everyone listening, no matter what group you fall into or not, I love you, and I mean that. I welcome you in Jesus' name to Emmanuel Anglican Church. I respect you. You are made in God's image. Emmanuel Anglican has always been a place where people can come with their honest questions and the background that they have, and that's true today. I also love Jesus. I adore Jesus, and this message is about Jesus and his kingdom. So here's a question for you. It's an honest question. Would you be willing to consider with me the way that Jesus led? Not just what he was doing, but how he was doing it. If you are willing, um, I would like to open up Matthew 3 and investigate the beginning of Jesus' leadership together. The, the baptism of our Lord is like the beginning of his kingdom. He lived 30 years before this moment in relative obscurity. And his baptism is uh, the moment where he goes from obscurity to leadership. And you can see hints and qualities of his leadership embedded right there at that baptism moment that you can trace out even today the way Jesus leads. 
Here are two things that I want us to see in this baptism. The first thing is that in a political culture marked by violence, Jesus led with meekness. And the second thing is that in a society, in a, in a social culture marked by contempt, Jesus gave and received honor. So in a political culture marked by violence, he led with meekness. In a social culture marked by contempt, Jesus gave and received honor. Let's look at the first point together, that in a political culture marked by violence, Jesus led with meekness. In the Roman Empire in the first century, politics was violent and violence was political. Kings and rulers came to power and kept their power violently. Mobs resisted those, uh, those rulers violently. The Roman Empire grew through violence, and the Roman Empire stayed in power through violence. And then, centuries later, the Roman Empire fell violently. Violence and power was so intimately mixed in the Roman Empire that you could hardly conceive of one without the other. We might define violence this way. Violence is anger-driven brutality that is intended to hurt, damage, or kill. Anger-driven brutality that intends itself to hurt, damage, or kill. Now, in the face of all this violence, what do you suppose the admirers and followers of Jesus expected him to do? When, when he claimed to be God's new king, how did they expect it to happen? They expected it to happen violently, through the sword. Use a sharp sword, use a big crowd, rile up the crowd with violent speech, and then follow it up with a violent plan. That's how they expected Jesus to rule. That's how they pressured him to rule. Now, instead, Jesus begins his ministry with meekness. Bishop Stuart Ruck defines meekness this way. Meekness is a patient submission that leads others to great transformation. Meekness is a patient submission that leads others to, a, uh, to great transformation. Now notice with me the meekness in Jesus' baptism. Matthew 3.13 says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Now notice that in verse 13, Jesus comes all the way from Galilee to Jordan for the express purpose of being baptized by John the Baptist. We've seen in the past that this is a 70-mile journey by foot, by donkey. It's a long way to go, very intentional. And this is not the conventional path to becoming king. In a politically violent culture, you become king through a Jerusalem uprising, not a Jordan baptism. You don't become king by submitting yourself under the authority and ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was an outsider. He was not respected by the um, insider political culture, either Jewish or the wider Roman Empire. His ministry was in the muddy Jordan River in the middle of nowhere. And he was ministering with very notorious sinners that you didn't want to be associated with. And then John himself even protested to Jesus. He said in verse 14, hey, look, I need to be baptized by you, but you want me to baptize you. 
you come to me. And in his great meekness, Jesus responds in verse 15, let it be, let it be, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, Jesus was aware of a greater, righteous, fitting purpose of his father. And he came under that purpose by stepping into the Jordan River and asking John to baptize him. It was a great act of meekness. Jesus meekly received John the Baptist's ministry. He meekly let John lower him into the waters of the Jordan River. And as he is submerged into those muddy waters, surrounded by a lot of sinners, we get a hint of what's to come for Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus' baptism kick-started a ministry of meekness, a life of washing feet and saying, this is how I want you to lead a life of dining with prostitutes and lowlives, so-called, of touching lepers and dying for the sins of the world. Three years after his baptism, he would also descend into a watery grave, into the depths of hell itself. He's not just a leader that's meek. Um, he's a leader that goes all the way into the sewers of the earth to get the job done to save us, to lead to our great transformation. Jesus himself summed up his leadership style this way. I am gentle and lowly in heart. He said, come to me, which is a leadership message, like come around me, come and be part of my kingdom. Why? Because I'm going I'm to get big things done for you and we're going to conquer the world. No, he said, I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Another part of scripture said this, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, into, grasped onto, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Now, what did Jesus get for all that meekness? What did Jesus get for all that patient submission? Well, he received a kingdom he received a kingdom. He didn't seize it. Father gave it to him. And it's a kingdom that will never end, a kingdom that includes billions of people from every part of the world and will last forever. And you know, people will kill for a kingdom like that. They will literally kill for a kingdom that will last forever. People will literally kill for a global kingdom. They will use violence for a kingdom like that. But you can't get the kingdom of God with the violence of man. You cannot get the kingdom of God with the violence of man. As Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount, the meek shall inherit the earth. It's the meek that will inherit the earth. The kingdom of Jesus is not forced. It comes by the Spirit's power. Now, if Jesus is our king, and for those of you considering the claims of Jesus, if Jesus were to become your king, what would that mean for you? Here are some implications for people who follow him, and I hope that you do follow him. One implication is that we must repent of any violence in our words and behavior. We all have some measure of violence. It's part of our sin nature. And part of what it means to follow Jesus is to repent of violence whether it's subtle or overt. 
Violence makes itself known when we are caught trying to force people to act or think in a certain way and we're willing to hurt them to make them do it. Another implication um, is, is that we are, we are not becoming a doormat. Sometimes people think meekness is becoming a doormat, that we have no personhood, that we have no self-respect, that we have no ambition in life. Look, Jesus intended to fulfill his call to become king of the world, and in the process, he disrupted a lot of false peace. He made powerful people mad at him, and he named truth that they reacted to. Um, and yet the way that he got his kingdom was through meekness, approachability, submission, and waiting for the father to complete what he started. He didn't force the kingdom, he received the kingdom. And this is liberating. As Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. If that describes you today, Know that when you say yes to Jesus and yes to his nonviolent way of seeking uh, a kingdom, um, that he will give you his light yoke. His light yoke is meekness, and violence is heavy. You know, if we have to control people, if we have to push people around, if we have to make sure that they get what's coming to them, that's a heavy yoke. Jesus gives us the easy yoke of his meekness. In his kingdom, humor and forgiveness and trust can replace violence and pride and anger. Now, as we follow Jesus here at Emmanuel Anglican, here are some ancient practices that can teach us meekness along the way. Um, on Ash Wednesday, I don't know if we're going to use ashes this Ash Wednesday. We're still looking into the epidemiology of that, but um, on most Ash Wednesdays, Maybe we'll just have it, you apply it to your own forehead. Details forthcoming, but to dust you are, to dust you shall return. Repent and believe the gospel. That is a message that points us in the direction of meekness. It teaches us meekness in a tangible way. We will die. We need to remember that. Receiving uh, Christ's body and blood in the Eucharistic meal every week, we come empty-handed. It may be a while since you've used this posture before of empty hands because we haven't met in a long time. This is the posture of receiving Christ's meal. We come empty-handed. We come meek. We receive his life. We don't force it. And then we also confess our sins. The prayer book liturgy for this begins with the phrase, bless me for I have sinned. And that just brings us to a point of meekness. It teaches us it teaches us the way of meekness. It teaches us the way of Jesus. And then we practice meekness in public life. So in a political culture marked by violence, Jesus led with meekness. Secondly, in a social culture marked by contempt, Jesus gave and received honor. He gave and received honor when so many other people, just the way of the world was contempt. The dictionary defines contempt in this way. Contempt is the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration uh, if, that they are worthless or that they deserve scorn. Dallas Willard defines contempt this way. Contempt is the utter despising of someone to the extent that you don't care what happens to that person. 
And in Dallas Willard's view, contempt was worse than violence because contempt spits on the deep need to belong. Like everyone has a deep need to belong. Everyone in, uh, who participated in the violence on Wednesday has a deep need to belong. And whether we look down on them or anyone else in, in this world, we spit on their personhood. That is, as Dallas Willard said, in, inherently poisonous because it stabs the soul to its core and deflates its powers of life. Contempt, one writer said, can hurt so badly and destroy so deeply that murder would almost be a mercy. And the social world of Jesus was full of contempt. People spitting at each other, looking down at each other for their race, their religion, or their lack of religion, or their ranking in society. It was a highly, highly, highly hierarchical and ranked society. We like to think of ourselves as a pretty egalitarian society where, you know, it's, we're all equal. But the fact is we're not. At least uh, how we treat each other. We don't treat each other equally. We treat some people as worthy of honor and some people as worthy of contempt. And we all have our buckets of who deserves contempt and who deserves honor. Um, leaders in Jesus' time used contempt to advance their own power. And in contrast, Jesus both received and gave honor as a way of course. And you can see this in his baptism. Verse 16 of Matthew 3 says this, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opening, open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now here at Emmanuel Anglican, we talk a lot about word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. And it's a shorthand description for um, God's gifts to us in worship, the way that, that, that God builds us up in worship. And they, they all work together. So God communicates himself through, through the scriptures and then he feeds us with his life in the sacraments of Eucharist and baptism. And then God animates us all with fresh power through his Holy Spirit. Now notice how Jesus is honored with these three gifts at his baptism. You have the word of the Father spoken over the waters of baptism. And then you have the presence of the Holy Spirit symbolized as a dove. The word spoken was most likely taken from Psalm 2. It rings of Psalm 2, where, where we read earlier, the Lord said to me, you are my son. In Psalm 2, God gives his newly ordained king the inheritance of the nations. He's enthroning him, giving him dominion over the whole world. And it's an incredible honor. But the father doesn't just say to Jesus, you are my son, but you are my beloved son. I love you. And in whom I am well pleased in other words, I'm proud to call you my son. I'm delighted by you. I love you. The waters of baptism, though they are of the earth, are also set apart for this ceremony. Water baptism was and is an honor to receive. For Jesus, it commissioned him for his kingly rule. For us, it washes away sin and marks us a member of God's kingdom. It is an honor to receive it. And then the Holy Spirit is God's great gift, and he honored Jesus. The Father honored Jesus by alighting on him as a, um, the Holy Spirit as a dove. 
a holy symbol of peace. And, and then to cap it all off, word and sacrament infused by the Spirit happened publicly for all to see and witness. The Father was delighted to honor his Son. And then Jesus' leadership was thereby marked with honor. He gave honor to everyone he met, even those with whom he disagreed. He didn't spit on them. He treated them as made in God's image. Um, he even honored the local government by commending people to pay their taxes. The earliest followers of Jesus sought to do the same. They honored babies abandoned in the alleys of the Roman Empire, as well as prayed for emperors in the highest halls of Roman power. And they treated everyone in between with honor as well. People who had only been given names of third and fourth at their birth uh, because they didn't even receive the honor of a proper name were given Christian names at their baptisms in the early church and included not only um, for uh, like what they could give um, to the church, but also how they could be an ambassador of Jesus to the Roman Empire. In the words of St. Paul, all followers of Jesus are to um, pay to all what is owed to them. Pay to all what is owed to them. Respect whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And then he goes on to encourage all Christians to walk properly as in the daytime, not in drunkenness or sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He called us to honor ourselves and other people by how we live, whether it's in honoring the local government or honoring our fellow brother and sister and how we treat them. We are people of honor when we are baptized. When we enter the world of Jesus, spaces like the church are set apart for holy purposes. And when we enter those spaces, something happens to honor us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit includes us in their community. If you go through the confirmation course, with which Deacon Susan is spearheading, um, the bishop will come and lay hands on you and commission you to um, be a part of the mission of the church and to serve King Jesus. Today, we have um, members being received into the fellowship of this church. They will be honored uh, with a cross placed around their neck. They will be given the gift of salt and light that represents our um, high Christian calling. And then every Sunday, we have an opportunity to honor one another with the peace of Christ. Sometimes that just might feel like texting your friends, um, given the social distancing that we are experiencing right now. But I'll tell you that the peace of Christ was originally meant to flatten all of the ways that contempt had separated people. That's what the peace of Christ was there for. It was originally a kiss. We're not going to make you do that. But the scandal of the kiss was not um, because it was romantic. The scandal of the kiss was that it was people of different ranks of society being brought together. People of high status and people of low status. And that was the scandal of the peace of Christ being passed. When enemies taunt and aggrieve us, we pray for them and seek the justice uh, for ourselves and for them to the best of our ability. But we don't dishonor their personhood in the process of seeking that justice. We don't spit against their souls. Even if we disagree with their beliefs 
or behavior, even if we feel strongly about that disagreement. We don't spit at their souls because that's the way of Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, we go his way. In a political culture marked by violence, Jesus led with meekness. And in a social culture marked by contempt, Jesus gave and received honor. As I said, before we still have that violence and we still have that contempt in our culture too. It has different forms, but it has the same foul animating spirit behind it. And in the midst of that, we have Jesus and his Holy Spirit and his holy kingdom, along with the meekness and honor that comes from it. So if you're listening to this and you find these qualities of Jesus's leadership compelling, would you be open to Jesus becoming your primary influence for how you behave in public and how you respond to the events of the day? Not just by the way uh, you engage in politics, but the way you live your life, the way you treat your family, extended family, roommates and friends. Would you be open to Jesus's all-encompassing invitation, follow me, follow me? To those who are considering Jesus, I, I just want to ask you, like, have you heard something that you want more of from Jesus? If so, tell him that. If you cry out to him, if you call out to him, even if you're by yourself, he will hear you. You can pray, Jesus, show me more. Show me more of your kingdom, more of your goodness, more of your leadership. You can begin every day with a prayer. Jesus Christ, I want more of you in my life. Now, if you're ready to become a Christian and want to be baptized on Easter Sunday, please tell us via communication card and get in touch with us and we will walk you through the process of becoming a Christian. That would be our honor. To those who are frustrated by the silence or cooperation of Christian leaders in the face of evil, your frustration is justified and it's very understandable. I want to give you a word of hope today. Um, you and I are also Christian leaders. You and I are also Christian leaders. You are an ambassador of Jesus. Others may take the label of Christian the public persona of Christian without being formed in Jesus deep down, that might be true. You can't control them, neither can I. And you know better. You know better than to take the public label without the deep formation. You and I can be ambassadors of Jesus, ambassadors of his kingdom, and represent him to the people in our life. We can't use swords to force people other Christian leaders to do what we feel called to do. But we can follow Jesus. And Jesus will see our faithfulness and he will honor it. We will receive the earth too if we are meek. You can't control people. You can't control what they say. But you can follow Jesus and so can I. To those who support the attack on the Capitol this past week, or maybe those who participated in it, I want to humbly ask you to read the Gospel of Matthew beyond chapter 3. Read chapters 5 through 7 if you want a pure biblical message. 
read it through, and ask yourself the honest question. Does Wednesday's protest truly represent the kingdom that Jesus describes in Matthew 5 through 7? Does it honestly match up? Jesus loves you. I love you. He wants your allegiance. He wants your complete and total allegiance to his kingdom. And he does not allow kingdoms to mix. You cannot serve Jesus' kingdom ultimately and give your heart to another kingdom. Have you given your allegiance to Jesus? If not, I plead with you to do so because he has an honorable and good and noble calling for you. He loves you, truly loves you. So walk in his way. Before we end, I want to uh, pray for all of us that we would have the courage and the strength to follow Jesus in our own time of violence and contempt. Lord, I now pray that you would send your Holy Spirit and bring peace in our time. I pray, Lord, that you would bring peace to the United States of America, and I ask that you would uphold all of the systems of government, Lord. I do pray that for President Trump that you would use him to uphold peace. I pray, Lord, for the members of Congress that you would protect them physically and spiritually, and that you would also use them to uphold peace, as well as every local official and magistrate, and every citizen of this land, and even those who are not considered citizens but live here, I pray that you would spread peace in our time using the salt and light of your people who are leading in your name and in your way. I pray, Lord, now that you would bring healing to our souls and our society. Lord, would you bring healing where there has been spitting, where there has been violence, where there has been contempt, where there, Lord, has been separations between people of different persuasions. I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing. Lord, would you establish your kingdom first in your people? Bring your kingdom now, Lord, as we worship you, as we look to you. And then I pray that you would bring your kingdom through us, Lord. Bring your grace in your kingdom through your people who are repenting and finding life and renewal through your forgiveness, through your spirit. I pray, Lord, that the beautiful vision of the kingdom which is played out in the liturgical patterns of your church, would become a pattern for all of society. And I pray this, Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.